Welcome back for episode 26 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on April 13th, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86 Alongside me, we have a man who really, really, really requires more phone memory, Steeman Willie Beeman. AT&T be with you, my children. Hopefully not. Yeah. Um, for those on the podcast, those who are in on the live chat have already noticed, but Justin, Justin saying 0516 was not able to be with us. Hopefully he will be able to jump in later into the show, but yes, AT&T good game. So the topic of today's chat is going to be a discussion of darkness and light as, as presented within destiny. Before we get into that though, I wanted to run through some, just some quick notes. Our last chat covered a high-level view of the Black Garden. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat.com for archives of all of our previous chats as well as links to all our various other pages. If you don't mind, please also give us some feedback on iTunes or through our email, focusfirechat at gmail.com, to let us know how we're doing. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Wednesday, at around 10 p.m. Central, We get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. The next week's chat is going to be a discussion about the Vanguard mentors. So with all that, let's go ahead and dive into what we know about the darkness and the light. All right. Well, we don't know. Well, we know a lot and we know nothing, just like everything else with the Destiny story. You know, they... A lot of us these days that are real deep into the lore, I think more lean toward they're kind of two sides of the same coin, kind of like the force, you know, and then there's a whole, you know, it could be them playing it out as good versus evil. I just I personally doubt it. And one of the most important things we know is that the reason we're even in this battle is thanks to a giant golf ball with a hole in its bottom right now. And we know that giant golf ball is the Traveler. You want me to go ahead with the card, Blue? Yeah, let's <laughs> let's dig into the Traveler just a little bit. All right. Here's the Traveler's uh, Grimoire card. Everything changed with the coming of the Traveler. It gave us gifts that transformed the solar system and the nature of human life. It ushered in the Golden Age, a time of miracles. But it never shared its deepest secrets. Where did the Traveler come from? Why did it offer us so much? Did it know it was being being hunted across the stars? And why, when the darkness came, did it choose to stay and fight for us? Now the Traveler hangs, silent, above humanity's final sanctuary. It may be healing. It may be dying. It gave everything it had to save us, and now its power lies with us, its guardians, 
of the galaxy. Those last two words weren't on there, but still. <laughs> One of the best memes I've seen. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, man. So, I haven't had one for a while where Guardians was spelled wrong, and I still held on to it just because I loved it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, as is standard with everything in Destiny, we've all become very used to it. Every time we get more Grimoire, it answers a few questions and gives us about 50 more. So, I mean, even here... There's a, there's a bit of nod. We'll get we'll get to it later with the darkness card. But there's a bit of nod to some of the philosophies that have been adopted by the inhabitants of the city, and even within the guardian ranks about the traveler, and even theory. And there's even some nods to theories that we as players have. Um, you know, especially the the very very big question of where did the hole in it come from. And is that hole at all related to, I don't know, a certain war mind and his weapons and the reason that it stayed? And, you know, that's that's a huge aspect of what we went through in the chat. What I know every time the Traveler gets brought up, that's a giant, usually a giant salty topic. Because the thing is, is with that particular topic, there's not enough information to say definitively on either side, um, which kind of was a i think was that a day that day that well, went back and forth on that in chat oh my god no there was a few days and i mean both sides of the argument are fallible right. but they're possible right you know um because it, it when you read the rasputin cards you can just sense that it does not trust the traveler you know, that that's the feeling you get when you read those. And at the same time, it does know also that we need the Traveler. It was He was smart enough to know that. But would he go that far? Well, it's not I something mean, we're going to get into on this podcast, I guess. Right. We, I mean, when we talked, we talked that a little bit about that with the War Minds episode. I mean, yeah, we did. the question of would he go that far? Yes, I definitely think Rasputin would go that far. Did he go that far? I think it's not a question of intention, which is really kind of backwards. Usually it's a question of intent. No, with Rasputin, it's very clearly his intent was, I'm going to shotgun you and put you in a corner. <laughs> and it was more of a question of did the parameters that he built in actually yeah, that's true. met. And, the, and that's well, a huge, huge I mean, I don't have the because um, I didn't plan on getting into this. Yeah, tonight, no, no, no. We won't. We won't get into it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna jump into the. I want to talk about the Alpha Loopy dreams, um, okay. especially especially pertaining to the Traveler cards. I think is and the yeah, reason. Yeah, I was about to say a well, lot of these, like more than half of them, are just about the Traveler going to right. the different planets in our solar system, and how it. It seems like how it's either somebody describing how it felt or itself talking in the first person kind of like prince or i'm sorry the artist formerly known as prince um it, it's just about the basic concept of the the ones for the planets are it going there and terraforming the planets or doing what it feels it needs to to make them better mm-hmm. but to you know the, the ghost fragments you know the we have three ghost fragments for the traveler and darkness too specifically right and i think before we read those 
before we read those real quick, the reason why I want to, well, well, why we want to go into them is because whereas like Willie was saying, like the other cards are more exploring what it did. These four kind of seem more about why it did. Um, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, it's very poetic. If you haven't read the dreams of alpha loopy, definitely check out the, uh, definitely check them out. They're very, very, very good reads. Just go to Ishtar Collective and type in Dreams of Alpha Loopy and all of them will come up. It's it's a pretty easy search. But we're gonna we're gonna focus on the Traveler card and then yeah, the Darkness Two, I think, is the other Dreams card. Um and that's that's and the reason being is because we're kinda we're gonna gonna approach this with a high level view because there is a ton of information on, as you can imagine on these subjects. So we're going to be kind of very high level. So with that being said, do you want to take the first one and I'll grab the second one? Yeah, I'll take traveler one. Um, so this is the ghost fragment traveler from the dreams of alpha Lupi. You have lived as invisibly as possible, flicking from solar system to solar system, making grand plans and overseeing the culturing of civilizations before leaving in a blink. But you have no recollection of ever wanting worship or even thanks from those blessed by you. But memory is heavy now. It feels like lead and neutronium are electroweak matter fashioned in a moon-sized ball that you must carry as you move. Now your flight is rapid. Your vast mind infected with such dread and toxic doubt that you find yourself afraid of the simplest act of thought. And it is your children you must turn to now in time of need. Which, yeah, you know, TLDR on that one, I would say, just giving you a basic concept that the traveler has been other places, blessed other civilizations, and left them. And at this point, it's hurt. It can't leave. And it's us that it need, you know, that need to it's, carry the big backpack. Right. And it's it's time for us to be guardians of it. Of the galaxy. <laughs> of the galaxy. Which, if that thing's blue. a Dyson sphere, that's literally what we are. We're guardians of a galaxy. Just Yeah, just I know out. that theory is out there, especially with... Just gotta with, um, point that out. So, but... I, so, I've heard that one. I like it. And, that, and the reason that theory is so prevalent is because of the... Oh my gosh, what is it? The alchemist... Not the alchemist raiment. It's the it's the emblem that's outside the speaker's chambers. Well, what kills me is why, since Fenchurch wants us to throw money at the screen all the time, why hasn't he sold us pictures of inside the traveler? I throw my money at the screen for that because I he's been in he's there. Been inside it. No, it smells like vanilla. Yeah, he said so. Because <laughs> you know he's such a trustworthy <laughs> individual. No. Hey, so, he brought the Carlton to Destiny. I'm that's forever fair enough, grateful. Fair enough. He wins this round, sir. Um, okay, so Ghost Fragment, The Traveler 2. Dreams of Alpha Loopy. This has been such a long chase. This will be the place you will fight. Fight and win. But do you really know why you go where you go and where this journey is taking you? The chase leads you where you need to be, you believe. Unless you are being pushed. So, dun, dun, dun. again, short, sweet, poetic. Um, it got that actually reminds me a lot of the 
uh, what was the King's Fall card where he's like, he says, unless you're the ball bearing upon which things move, you know, you're just a little ball bearing, but even a little ball, I can't, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but that's what that totally reminds me of. And, And again, these, so a cool thing about these actually are actually, these were actually teaser, uh, snippets that were released by Bungie prior to the game coming out. And so that was, it's really cool. There's this really, really cool wallpaper that is a collection of the Dreams of Alpha Lupi snippets around the, what looks like the, um, oh, what is, what is, I always blink on the, the uh, prime, not the, not the Lorette, but the, the moments of triumph. What is that emblem called? I always That's blank the, on it. It's the Prima. Um, is it the Prima Lorette? Yeah, the Prima Loria. Okay, so there, there's actually a wallpaper that's based around the kind of that does that design, but it's got the text of the Apolupi cards in instead of the icons. It's the text, so it's really cool. It's just a little little well, snippet there. I didn't want to talk too much about Apolupi because she ties in, or he ties into, I should say, my um, my pay in theory for the week. Oh lord! But <laughs> oh lord! Oh, yeah. Hey, hey you're going to love it, Blue. Fun times. But anyway, All right, we're you not want to go there yet. The thing yeah. I like about the most about the card you read is it kind of gives you the mindset that the Traveler also is kind of treated like Guardians are. Well, like, yeah, I yeah, mean, no, there's a difference in the fact that, like, you know, we're war machines to where it's just you know, spreading the light. This is the first time it's actually tried to fight granted, but it, it's asked the question, do you know why you're going, where you're going, where you're going at all? You know, you think this is leading you where you need to be, but you might be being pushed in that direction for a reason. And, you know, we have guardians like Osiris and a lot of people who still play the game. But, you know, you can grow tireless. So the Well, actually, the strikes got a lot more interesting with the April update. Um, Papa Heavy, some of us knew him as Subscroat. Yes, that was his gamer tag at one point. He's already up to like a 334. On all three. Uh, on cheats. all three. Because he cheats. He, he is, no, it's from running strikes. So yeah. running strikes will well, level you. Confirmed. Right. And I, I would also point out here that this is another thing in the chat that we talked about is a lot of people ascribe the actions of the traveler as actions of the light. And that's not actually accurate because we have to remember that the traveler is literally a, an avatar of the light. It is not the light. And we'll, we'll exactly. get into the, we'll get into this a little bit later when we're kind of talking more about the, the theories that came up as part of the chat, but it's, it's a very, it's a very important distinction the traveler is not the light. It is a avatar, an avatar of the light. We learned that in the books of sorrow. And the, the way I would say is just in the same capacity that the worm gods are not quote the darkness, the traveler. I wouldn't is even not. compare them. Well, no, I'm, so, saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying power of the deep, right. But, but I'm saying in the, in the same sense that they are not the same. Neither is, neither is the traveler. I right. just I feel right now. I mean, I get why you're trying because that is probably I don't, the yeah, I'm not, best. I'm not saying that they're. We have I'm not gonna, game right now. Right. I'm not going to say that they are parallels. But what I'm yeah, saying is, I, 
Well, we do know that the Traveler does have a dark mirror. We just don't know what it is yet. Correct. I would almost point so, out. Yeah. We'll get into that in a little bit later. So, yeah, I mean, that, and that, fun. And that'll, come, that'll bring us to the third Ghost, Ghost Fragment. Fragment 3. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I mean. Dreams of Alpha Lupi. The knife had a million blades, and you were giant, powerful, and swift. But the knife pinned you, cut your godly flesh away. Very little was left. You are sure, because you feel insignificant now. The hard, slick heart of your soul, that is what remains. A body small as a river stone, and just as simple. You picture yourself as a piece of indigestible grit. A nameless nothing hiding among other nameless stones. Perhaps you glitter like a gem. Yes, pride makes you hope so. If only you could see yourself, but you have no eyes. Not the dimmest sense survives. What lives is memory, and what slim portion of these thoughts can you trust? The knife stole much more than your body. And uh, you you can sense that that's kind of like the aftermath of the the constantly debated topic, uh, which we don't know how it happened exactly to a T yet, but we know the traveler went down, of course, became uh, inoperable, and that the last thing it did was send out the ghost to dig us up from our graves. Tried to get Master Chief into, but he was I actually have. I stuff. actually found a possible connection that is not Halo. <laughs> for that and i'm gonna talk about that one too when i talk oh, about the ghost really i actually really? i actually might have found i don't know it's a very 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 i stress the word very tenuous connection but i think i'm i think i might have found something kind of cool about that but real quick then the last one that we're going to talk about is ghost fragment well not the last one but the last one for the dreams is ghost fragment darkness 2 dreams of alpha Lupi. The universe is a beast. The body is made from tiny stuff, from near nothings, from atoms swimming through a blood of crackling sparks. Simple, eternal laws shape the beast. The largest galaxy is ruled by principles of mass and motion. Electrons are slaves to charge and to chance. And this is why the universe feels inexhaustible, eternal. No sun complains about its death. Life is the problem. Life can be woven from flesh or circuit or thoughtful light. Origins don't matter. But small, half-smart creatures have a fierce talent for denying the inevitable, for balking and complaining about injustices that don't exist and consequences that should be born in silence. It seems like this is sword logic, in a way. But at the same time, I don't know if it is. I, I get I get mixed feelings about this one because and, and this kind of goes back to my understanding of sword logic as kind of the eternal law that doesn't really pick, you know, light or dark. It's just kind of there. It's it's literally the version well, of Darwinism. I mean, I, I, I get that, but it, it's a pretty dark concept if you think no, about it. Worm Pact is know. a dark concept. No, no, that's just symbi- 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 symbiotic relationships. Yeah, I mean, but sword you logic know. itself, I mean, you could say the same thing about the natural law. I mean, how who are we to say that if they didn't put light in a can and sell it at the worm store, 
that the worm gods wouldn't go ahead and just go get 12 packs every, you know, couple days and oh, you know be happy would. with that. You yeah, know they would, would, you know, but they'd but probably be point, very reasonable about it. They'd probably be, <laughs> well, I don't know, that's probably, that might be a <laughs> <laughs> But, so, I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's very, oh, and you know, the thing is, I just, I just realized, hang on, I'll be right back. I'm going to grab this quote that I, I have. Hang on. Continue. Um, Did we have any interesting ideas in the chat? I mean, like I said, I tried to keep up the best I could. I was having. uh, I don't. I don't remember on on this one. Um, We kind of talked more about the relationship of the manifestation of light, which I will. We will get into here in a second because there is some really fascinating stuff with it and I'm going to butcher the physics of it because I am not a physicist. So yeah. Um, there is, there's this old, there's a quote from, and I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know where this quote is from. I should, and I'm probably going to get yelled at for not knowing it. But the reason it reminds me of this is it says our old worlds have grown feral, rabid beasts with teeth of rust and ruin but such beasts are meant to be tamed or broken. And the reason why this reminds me of this is the fact that this card starts off with the quote, the universe is a beast. And so it just, yeah. it, it just to me that just reminds me of this. And I want to say, yeah, no, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it's not the, the crest, the crest of Alpha Lupe is not, but and I and like I said, I'm not sure where that quote comes from. It was a really, really well done wallpaper with the crest, the hunter's crest of Alpha Lupe centered on it, and that's why I just kind of always, whenever I read this card, that's what I keep. And that's of. another interesting thing about the Alpha Lupe, um, herself, himself, itself is the the quotes on the armors. Do you by chance have those somewhere close, Blue? I have the um, crust because it's an awesome piece of armor. You have, But do you have the Titan one or do you have the Hunter one? They both I have different... Have, I can grab either one. I have both. Okay. Um, go ahead and the hunter, read those off real okay, quick. Sure. The Hunter says, You've heard every last tale of the wolf by now. None of them are true. You are the wolf. And the Titan says, whoever survives our passing does so only by our consent. Now, look at those and look at the cards, the dreams. These are completely different mindsets, it feels like. Um, you know, you only survive because <laughs> because we say so, pretty much. Yeah, and, and you've heard all these stories about wolves. Guess what? You're that wolf. And it also harkens back to the Law of the Jungle trailer, which is an amazing trailer. If you have not seen yeah, Destiny's really Law of the Jungle one, go do yourself a favor and watch that. But that's what well, I... came out way before the game Oh, did. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, anybody who just jumped in for Taken King might not have seen that. So I'm just saying, if you have not seen this trailer, you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Destiny... Law of the Jungle. It's an amazing trailer. It was a really good Not trailer. Not to mention Kipling's Jungle Book. Is it, amazing. But it, 
it also does show you how amazing a Destiny movie would be yes. as well. And, and it's totally feasible. And just a real quick backing up, thank you to Alt in chat. The quote is from the Hunter card. So I, I knew I was going to get in trouble for not knowing that. But thank you, Alt. Um, so, yeah, and, and that's that's predominantly what that whole thing reminds me of. And I think, I mean, that's pretty much... It, this this is all going to tie into a theory that I have later, but for right now, I mean that's that's pretty much the dreams. That's what I have for the dreams. Do you have any? That's pretty much everything that we have about Alpha Lupi in general right now. Um, we know that at one point it was a female guardian, and I know once again that there are people that hate it when we bring up the game before the game. It's it's, but at the same I mean, time just, they do they tie the, it in a lot. Right. It's just. The, I would just preface it. It's the supposed original story. Just, you know, yes, it's hearsay. hearsay, So, you know, take it or leave it for what you will. But that's what we, I mean, we've been, I I can only do with what I have. (laughs) I can only operate with the information I have. So, it is. We have very little on Afalupi. So, I did want to point out that she was a female guardian. You helped her on a quest, and that's where you got the crest of Afalupi. So with Alpha Lupi out of the way, the that's pretty much. I mean, and the reason we attach it to the Traveler is because pretty much everyone accepts that the Traveler is Alpha Lupe in this in this story. Um, which brings us to a next section, or not in the next section, but I guess the next topic, piece, next card, the next card, yeah. which we'll be talking about the little thing that follows us around, the ghost. And the, I love it. Oh, the ghost card says. In its dying breath, the Traveler created the ghost to seek out those who can wield its light as a weapon, guardians to protect us, and do what the Traveler itself no longer can. And that's according and to, to open doors. And to open doors, according to Eris Morn. <laughs> Built from machinery in the Traveler's light, ghosts guide their guardian companions in the quest to reclaim our solar system. Every ghost seeks out its guardian among the ancient dead. The ghost serves as scout, librarian, and mechanic, waking ancient machinery and cracking alien codes. In the right situations, a ghost can even save a guardian from death. But ghosts are not immortal. As far as guardians know, every loss is irreplaceable. So, not, I mean, again, pretty pretty simple explanation for what a ghost does it basically searches it out searches out a guardian and reanimates their corpse yes we are liches we've already established that these are the phylacteries as long as we agree no these we're liches we're not zombies i'm not gonna not gonna start this argument again if we were zombies we would be eating the traveler's brains right now well probably not the traveler because it probably doesn't have brains but the city would not exist because we would have eaten all of the citizens' brains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to give Ghost credit, by the way. I think I wrote in chat earlier this week, actually, before the April update, that they needed to give Ghost more personality. Oh, man. Or, no, it was, it, it was after the oh. April update, but I hadn't done the first mission. The first mission. And once... When you hear Variks and Ghosts going back and forth, dude, I and know I everybody that's done it knows that one so line. Hard. Yeah, if if you've done the mission, there was that one line. You know what I'm talking about. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. 
but uh, we were ghost stre- I was streaming. And I, I literally looked at the camera and I was like, "Did he just? <laughs> did he just say that back like on comms to Varix? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. But the, so I do, I do want to touch on one thing. There is there is a number of people. And we kind of went back and forth on this in chat, and I don't think I don't th- I think we're still divided on it. But there's a lot of people out there who say that the ghosts search for their quote unquote one guardian, and that it's a one to one ratio. There is one ghost for one guardian, and that's it. They are, you know, for lack of a better term, soulmates. I actually argue that that is not the case. And the reason, I think that's pretty much confirmed to be true, isn't it? Yes, and I'm going to touch on that because there is an item that you can scan in one of the missions, the Cade Stash mission. Now, many people call this the, uh, well, a lot of people refer to this as the, quote, Halo or one of the Halo Easter eggs because there is an there is a pod and it looks a little bit like an ODST drop pod. And you can scan it. And the quote that Ghost says is pod number 10201. A guardian with exceptional light sealed himself inside. He's been in there for centuries. Before I found you, I tried to resurrect him, but he preferred to sleep. He said the last war was enough for a thousand lifetimes. And that's the end of quote. So my point here is, we, this, this is actually the second case of a ghost transferring ownership. Um, the first case is our favorite, favorite, favorite topic is Shin Malfer and Jaron Ward. And there's a, there's a big argument there too, because Shin Malfer, as far as we know, never died. And so it's a question of how did Shin Malfer become a guardian, if he became a guardian and yada, yada, yada. But what I want to focus back here is your ghost, ghost, your, your ghost tried to resurrect someone else and it wasn't the ghost that was incompatible with the person, but the the individual decided to not come back. So if your ghost is only on a one-to-one ratio, then he wouldn't have been able to resurrect our player after trying to resurrect this other potential guardian. And I want to throw out there, I don't think that ghost is telling the full story. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I, he's not. I, I, I think he woke up and the first thing he said is, you're not Katana, Cortana. Get out of here. Well, what are okay. you doing? So, yeah, and there's there's another there's another theory that this is actually possibly Saint Fourteen, um, because there is a go there's a dead ghost next to this scannable item that is the Saint Fourteen dead ghost. So there's a couple there's I've I've heard more and more that there are a couple of people who think that this could be Saint Fourteen. Now there's another really thin connection that I kind of found really odd. If you view 10201 as a date, that gives you the date of October 2nd, 2001. Now, I just just out of curiosity was like, yeah, well, you know, let's see. He sealed himself inside a pod, so that'd probably be equivalent to a death. So who died on 10201? Just to see who could who I could find. There is an individual named Franz Bebel, and this man, not many people, well, you might know him, he wrote a song that many people might recognize, and that's the Ave Maria. He is the, pers- he is the German composer of the Ave Maria in 1964, and he was also a draftee in World War II, where he became a prisoner of war 
until he was released at the end of the war and then went back to become a teacher in music theory. He died in two, in 2001 on October 2nd. So he sealed himself inside a, a pod and his exceptional light. If you know anything about the Ave Maria is it's pretty, a beautiful hymn. And he also was involved in a war that a number of people have said was enough to last thousands of lifetimes. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's a really thin connection, but I thought it was Pretty really thin, cut. But I mean, I know, but it's just like, it was one of those things where it's like, there are a lot of little random coincidences on that one. So it's yeah, just, there uh, are. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard of that guy until you said something blue. I, 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 um, I never heard of him. I was like, I, I mean, I never heard of him. And I would start looking. I was like, God, this is, this is silly. And I started pulling him up and I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> There's so much random stuff here. And yeah, and then it was the part that really sealed it was the fact that he was actually involved in World War II because the quote, last war was enough to last for a thousand lifetimes. I've always described to, oh, it's Master Chief, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's tired. He wants to rest. But no, I mean, if if this is a nod to a guy who was in World War II. That'd be amazing. I I mean, I, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. So. That would be so amazing. Um, and then I think from did did we have anything else we really wanted to? No, because I, I mean, not I, until I do we actually can... have something I want to touch on real quick. Yeah, go for as it. As far as ghosts go, we have the the latest Resolazir card. If oh, you haven't yes. read it yet, I'm not yes. going to spoil it for you. But what I want to point out here is his ghost didn't just stay inside him and you know, pop out whenever he died so he could be resurrected by another guardian. This ghost uses tactics and maneuvers to help Rezel do one of the most badass things you have ever read done in so far in the grimoire, in my opinion. Like the the detail in the new Rezel Azir card is so amazing that I recommend everybody read it because I, I was completely enthralled the entire time. Um, but it, that's kind of what I meant when, because I just got done reading that card when I, and I was like, man, I wish our ghost could do something like that, you know? Oh God. But that, that it, card is it awesome. Would be great. Dude, that card is it's awesome. so great, but it, it shows that his ghost wasn't just a door, you know, a, a skeleton key. Yeah, you know, he didn't just open doors. No, it listened. It said, and I mean, our ghost tells us when I think something's a bad idea, sure. But he stays in our body unless we need a light, a flashlight, mm-hmm. or unless we need a door opened, or unless we need to summon Fallen for about three or four rounds so he can open a door. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just saying that if hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping that the ghosts do end up evolving come the next game. I know there's not a whole lot they can do because the mechanics in this game pretty much at this point are the mechanics. This is just how it's going to be. But I I think Bungie is really going to take off come the next, the next big thing. I think it's really going to blow us away and they're going to do some great things with it. I'm hoping so. But so, and I'm, I'm assuming that we don't well i have something again i have a theory that entails the ghost but it's not really pertinent to right now um you want to talk about the speaker real quick 
I thought we were going to moats of light next. I figure we um, could do speakers and then moats because speaker kind of collects moats. We can do we can do it either way. Do you want to do moats first? Um, well, I'm just trying to go by your show notes, Blue. Fair enough. Let's do but... moats of light. So okay, <laughs> moats of light. All right, I'll take it. Right. Um, the speaker has no interest in glimmer, marks, or the other currencies of the tower's military functions, but he happily accepts those moats. Points of light willed into being an exercise of a mighty guardian's power. Some say they will one day become the souls of new ghosts. Others believe that they feed the intricate machinery the speaker tends. Whatever the case the speaker will happily reward donors with patterns and signs from his collection more out of gratitude than any mercantile impulse, which I thought that really, because when you have the actual moat um, flavor text, it says that it's pretty much a, a piece of light. I can't remember the exact, and we don't have it up here either. Hold up. Uh, yeah, you get that blue real quick, but Apparently the point there's, is there's something called a fruit moats, and I got distracted. Sorry. That was know. from the that was from uh, the festival of the lost. I I just the I, yeah, it says a brilliant spark of the traveler's light can be consumed to apply experience to your equipped gear. And what I'm getting at with the moats, though, is that. In Vanilla Destiny, there were only two people. There was only two uses you had for Motes of Light. Right. You could give them to the speaker, mm-hmm. or you could give them to Zer. And with them being brilliant sparks of the Traveler's Light, me being a lore nerd, I thought that extremely interesting. Well, and that tied into do you remember the Do you remember the theory that someone had about uh, what the strange coins were? They were spy devices. Oh, were, really? No, oh I did not gosh. catch that. Oh, it was such a cool theory. So there is, there is a un. We haven't, we haven't encountered it in game, but there is a, there's a consumable that drop. Oh my gosh, there's a consumable that you get from Vex. I think Vex, Vex units, and it's basically. I, I can't remember what it's like. I can't remember what it's called, but it like the image, the card image, it looks like a dull, strange coin. And it was like, what the hell is this? Like what? I don't understand. And then it, like literally if you hold it next to a strange coin, it's a, a dollar strange coin. And then we started looking at like the definite or the description of strange coins. And we don't really know what they're doing. We just know that they hum or vibrate. We don't know why yeah, they vibrate. And uh, they're warm to right. the touch as and well. And so I remember, I remember chatting with this guy. I can't remember. I think it was in our chat. It might have been on Reddit, but he had this theory that the strange coins were actually um, intelligence gathering devices used by the Nine to track the Guardians and what they're doing. Because you know Ooh. they they're like you know everyone hoards. I call them space cookies. Everyone hoards them. And it's like, so in, and they couldn't figure out, and no one's like, why is, why is there always wanting these things? And it's like, because he's, he's literally, this guy was like, he, because he's literally collecting intelligence on our movements. Literally, these are like GPS, you know, and what, you know, sophisticated GPS tracking units. And it was a really cool theory. But then he was talking about, 
oh yeah. And you know, then you have the theory that the nine are ahamkaras and, or, you know, something of that nature that actually ingest light. And these are fragments of light. So there's, there's a, there's a good, you know what, that, that would tie into the vanilla destiny. Why? Mm -hmm they would want modes of light as well. Right, right. Because those are outright described as brilliant uh, uh, sparks, sparks of the traveler's light. light. Yeah. So that that would actually make sense as far as, I mean, the game's adapted since then. I think a lot of that has to do more with just keeping players interested. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, keeping things fresh. Economies and stuff. So <laughs> jumping from the modes... It, it seems like it's a pretty good segue to talk about the speaker. And really quick, I mean, everyone has, everyone and their freaking dog have a theory about what the speaker is, who the speaker is, no, what Chris. it is. No, Chris. Oh, it's, I'm holding out. I'm holding out for it. <laughs> Completely and utterly like a 5,000 on the pay-in scale, but I'm holding out for it. Oh, man. But, Oh my gosh, I can't bl- oh that was that was a delusional I almost want to say drunk train of thought that led to that assumption. But anyways, the Grimoire card for the speaker says there has always been a speaker, an anonymous high priest with a mysterious and powerful connection to the traveler and its ghost. In all the centuries of the city's history, the speaker's great work has never changed to guide new guardians, heal the traveler, and raise our crippled protector from its slumber. So, real fast, I know we're focused, we're, we're kind of taking a step back from the, the abstract concept of darkness and light with some of these things. But real fast, the thing to note about the speaker is his or her, its purpose is to, I mean, to focus on that. It's to heal He's the essentially traveler. a priest. Well, she could be a priest. I mean, we don't know if it's a he or Dude, she. We don't if, know. It, 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 it's a guy's email, voice. It's a guy's voice. I know. Needs, I was about to say, you know what? To take some hormones. You don't, you don't know what Nocris's voice sounds like, so you leave <laughs> her alone. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even take myself seriously right now. Um, oh, my God. You didn't Oryx, just do that, did you? Oryx was a, no, and I'm not. I'm not going down this road. I'm not going down this road. You're not going to corrupt me this one. So, my point is, the speaker is basically the mouthpiece of the traveler. Now, that's a position of extreme height and extreme respect. However, you know, go back to our faction city or factions episode. There, he doesn't run the city, or she doesn't run the city by itself she or he is part of the consensus which Will you involves please just say he the speaker we have right now is it. he please. it let's settle on it can we compromise on it fine the, let's compromise its position is god man i can't uh is part of the Damn consensus it, with the factions and the vanguard and then the speaker and so it's a, it's a group effort which is actually the entire point of the new monarchy hubbub that they always rise about but anyways so that's why i wanted to talk to you about the speaker is because it's the mouthpiece for the traveler and which the traveler is pretty much the mouthpiece for the light as we learned in the books of sorrow so it's kind of like the mouthpiece of the mouthpiece yeah anyways so moving on to what we know you know immediate access to the light which is our guardians and 
you know, I'll, I'm going to let Willie take the Guardians and kind of talk about that from the grimoire standpoint. But the, the, the important thing to think about Guardians is that we are basically a conduit of the Traveler's Light. So The only, the only way that I'm going to move on to Guardians, Blue, is if you promise me that for next week you will put just the speaker as a topic. I don't want because- to. Oh, my gosh. Although there's so little, there's so much. I know there is. There would be a complete spin foil week. Okay, but you know what? Let's put the speaker on there. Let's do it. Okay, fine. All right, fine. So since Blue has agreed to do that live on stream, since um, I've been blackmailed, I will go into Guardians. Legends are carved across history by the brave. They don't tell you who that quote's from, but I believe it's Payne. Guardians are warriors forging a traveler's light. A final hope in a universe falling into darkness. Chosen from the dead by the Traveler's ghosts, Guardians are those few, rare few able to wield the lightest weapon. For centuries they have defended the city, but that defense cannot hold on forever. Now, with the darkness rising again, the time has come to retake our lost worlds. The Guardians who lead the way will save humanity and become... Legend, yes, sir, and that's that's a big thing that I feel that should always when people because whenever we talk about a lot of topics like Crota, Oryx, you know, um, major players for the darkness, it's they'll be like, oh well. The orc or Crota took out Waning and thousands of other guardians on the moon. Why couldn't he just destroy? Because we're not just any guardian. I mean, yes, Waning was legend. Um, Saint 14, legend. Kabir, legend. According to Bife, Payan, absolute legend. Um, helped Rusty out of a tight spot. <laughs> Pay and be with you forever. <laughs> oh my uh, God, dude! I, nope, 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 nope. You don't, nope, you don't nope, even know. Nope. I, I had it. I had tears coming out of my eyes when I actually watched that entire <laughs> video. Like tears were streaming well, from my face, and I couldn't stop it. I was like, "Oh my God, Bife." <laughs> the the other thing to remember too is that we approach the we approach these situations a little bit differently than these other guardians did. And, and on top of that, we are some of the few guardians who have actually mastered all the subclasses. So we are, our player characters are entities of immense, immense power. Whereas most of these other guardians that we hear of who are legends in their own right are, I mean, they're powerful. Don't ever get me wrong. They are powerful, but then we are another class of guardian. We are we are approaching the level of the Osiris's of Toland, you know the the legendary figures even among the legends, and so that would be the other important thing. And not only that, we also kind of get lucky on some of the stuff. Like there's some of these things that yeah. just is sheer luck. So, I like the fact that uh, Eris is able to talk to Toland, or the fact and- that she can magically teleport us from reading from the oh, book. That's yeah, we got useful. really we got really really lucky on that one. Um that was actually a really really great story mission. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. 
the thing about that is talking about the subclasses, we also need to talk about our abilities. And so the Grimoire card for Guardian Abilities says, there is a light in you from which no darkness can hide. Only Guardians have the gift of the Traveler's Light, the ability to channel its energies to project vast powers into the world. Even without a firearm, a Guardian is a radiant engine of destruction. While these abilities rise from within, Guardians master their power in different ways. Titans understand the light as a force to hone through practice and strict discipline. Hunters roam and explore in order to learn, using dangerous methods to survive the wilds. And warlocks study the light and its inner mechanisms, confronting unfathomable mysteries in the search for transcendent might. Now, real quick, the 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 emphasis that I would put on this card is the fact that we have the ability to channel the energies from the Traveler's Light. So, and again, I'm uh, gonna <laughs> I'm gonna touch on this with my one of my bigger theories that I'll get to here in a second. But this light originates from the Traveler. We have the ability to channel it with the we have that ability from within us to channel that light, but we are not the source of that light. That is what the ghost bestows upon us when we're resurrected as guardians. Now we can manifest that light in a number of different ways, which we'll, we're about to touch on. There's actually three main ways that we manifest it currently. Now, and I say currently because oh. you want you, what do you want? I was just going to point out there that there are three different types of light that we can manifest as guardians, but we can actually do it nine different ways as far as we know so far. Well, so each class has its own flavor of manifestation. I would say there are three elements that the light is manifested into. And I also do want to point out that, you know, when you play the game, uh, you do find out that although you know they say that the Titans understand the light as a force, they do it through practice, strict discipline. Hunters, hunters only roam and explore to learn. The warlocks study everything. That's you know these are all stereotypes put upon the different classes. When it comes down to it, I mean, end game. I don't know about anybody else. My warlock punches everything, you know, especially well, since you get that extended range on uh, the thunderstrike. Well, and I kind of take this more to mean they're talking about the attribute modifiers and the class modifiers. Because let's take, let me just let's let's look at the hunter real quick, right? The attribute sure. modifiers are way of the drifter, way of the fearless, and way of the nomad. The class modifiers are Path Forgotten, Path Forbidden, and Path Unknown. So they're all about paths and finding the way. The Titans are Codexes, and the Warlocks are um, Orders, and then uh, uh, Divine Order, Chaos Order, Ancestral Order, and then Arcane Wisdom, Arcane Spirit, and Arcane Force. And so when they when they say these stereotypes for the classes in this abilities card, I think that's kind of what they're kind of touching to because like, you know, 
the Titans have the codexes. That's, you know, their modifiers. Now we, we as player characters don't experience them training because I mean, honestly, that'd be rather dry to experience in game. But the well, you kind of do train as you go on, right? I mean, you you unlock them through experience, but I think the emphasis is that you know it's it's by unlocking these abilities and these classes class specific modifiers in your skill tree from the player's perspective that is us training in these fashions to um, to become more powerful. So. All right. Yeah, I can I can get down with that for sure. Um, so I mean, yes, they're stereotypes, but I think the stereotypes are based around the general degree in which the different classes gain experience well, or gain power. It's like, well, the, the big thing for me, you know me, blue, um anybody that follows this podcast or chats with me at all knows I'm a Titan enthusiast. You know, that was who I picked in beta. That's who I picked as my first character before I made a warlock and a hunter. And, you know, the the big thing that really kills me with Titans is that people think, oh, here's the dumb Titan, Titan Smash. No, it's not that simple. Look at Rezil, Rezil. Uh, Rezil came up with a Saint brilliant plan. Yeah, Saint-14. I mean, well, no, I, I don't know about that. No, Saint-14 has his own Saint- thesis on the darkness he does he does he has his own thesis and it's a good one but i mean as much faith as he had in the speaker makes me doubt Uh. his intelligence personally um but i guess we'll touch on that another time right yeah well we talked about that in the saint 14 episode too we did and uh, i mean i love saint don't get me wrong dude saint is one he has one of the greatest stories as far as I'm concerned in Destiny. It's just I just that the faith he had in the speaker and the extremes he went to for the speaker. Like even if he did not actually try to battle Osiris, which I believe he might have tried to, but well, we touched on that in the same episode, so I won't keep going into that, but. You, you get what I'm saying. Right. I and just, so and then we'll go into the these elemental manifestations yeah, of light. You want to you want to do arc? I'll do solar then you do yeah. void. And these are these are just really 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 brief. Um so it's arc. A spark can give life or take it. The universe is defined by fundamental forces. Complex matter is bound together by deep forces, and in the study of this binding lies the secret of arc light. So basically, we usually equivalent this to electricity or electromagnetism. And then there comes solar. Yep. Sometimes the only answer is to burn it all away. I don't know who said that, but that is a great quote. The universe is defined by fundamental forces. Energy is carried by quanta, tiny messengers of change. And the understanding of these messengers lies the secret of solar light. And then after that, we have the void. Right. And solar, for talking, touching back on the elemental piece, solar is obviously fire. Uh, 
the sun. Yeah, that's very true. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, yeah. Well, from a from a physicist or a physics point, I don't know how. I'm I'm not a physicist. From from a physical science point of view, the element of the universe that is usually equivalent to solar light is what's called strong nuclear force. Um, you can see this in plasma, which is ironically what the sun's made of. So it's pretty a pretty direct connection there, um, and that does that does bring us to the void energy or the void arc or void light. And it says it's fitting then that we have weaponized the unknown. The universe is defined by fundamental forces. Beneath the world of light and matter lies the vacuum, and the vast dark secrets that it contains. In the understanding of this vacuum lies the secret of void light. Now, void is often associated with obviously the vacuum, which is also the gravity, you know, gravitation and that element. And then this and just just real quick, this was something that we talked about quite in length in the chat was there there are generally accepted to be four I'm probably going to get yelled at by scientists on this one. My understanding <laughs> is that there are four elements in the universe, which are generally accepted as the basic building blocks of the reality, I guess, physical reality. Um, and those would be electromagnetism, gravity, strong nuclear force, and then an element called weak nuclear force. Now you notice there are four. We have three. Now, the weak nuclear force is often found in radioactive decay, which is usually displayed as a sickly green light, which, you know, one of our topics recently was over weapons that are bathed in green light, the weapons of sorrow, thorn, the mark of the devourer actually kind of seems like a nod to a weak nuclear force. So there is a there is a. A couple people out there who think that this could either be a nod to a potential additional subclass, which, you know, that would be terrifying and really, 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 really scary. And I would run screaming from that subclass that does damage like a weapon of sorrow. Or it's just a nod to what the weapons of sorrow are trying to harness. And so that's that's just a big part of the chat was the explanation of the physics behind that and how the physics correlates with the game mechanics. And it was rather actually astonishing how closely they, they paralleled each other. So again, arc is electromagnetism. Solar is the strong nuclear force and void would be gravity. So, and that's pretty much the manifestation of light and I'm going and to another see. thing I did want to point out with the light by the way mm-hmm. is um doesn't it kind of seem like our enemies are using light yes. like for instance the scions yes. I will totally talk about this yes let's do this because the scions they hit you with that um the arc blast that will kill you in one hit or used to uh, in prison of elders the thrall have arc energy on their claws. Yeah, they have it on their claws. The, exactly. The um, um, the wizards. It's called the darkness blast, but it actually is arc energy. Acolytes. Well, acolytes use void 
guns. So I would argue that it's not really them utilizing it. Um, the knights have the sword, which generally is not. It's just generally kinetic. But yeah, the Thrawler arc. I mean, it's it's definitely, there's definitely. And, and so I would, and you know, that actually, that's a good segue. There's There's a... There was something that I talked about near the end of the chat that I, I think a lot of people kind of agreed with, and that was, you know, when we when we talk about subjects in the grimoire, there's often a a simplification of the topic that I think is actually rather damaging to the conversation because there is a literal sense in which to read the information, but there's also a number of different ways. And there, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to go into a bit of a philosophy bend here near the end. And so just bear with me. There is a number of guys. Yeah. Get, get ready. Cause it's going to get fun and we'll come back a little bit to the darkness, but I really want to talk about this. And so I'm just going to, there's, there's a argument fact or an argument style that was developed by a philosopher by the name of Aristotle. And this is based around the concept of what he calls the four causes. Now, this is also used in the Catholic Church to read uh, religious texts. And there, there, in the way that they do this is there's a multiple layer of ways to read information in any given situation. Those ways are the literal, which it's pretty self-explanatory. Literal is exactly what it says. If I say I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here. There's the allegorical. The allegorical is a way of reading. Well, okay, just real quick. There's literal, allegorical, anagonical, and moral. So to break those out, we already touched on literal. Allegorical is a way that you read something that is due to the fact that while a divine or supernatural can elevate the natural world, the natural world cannot devolve the supernatural without doing what's called violence to the explanation, which basically means you simplify it to a point that you actually lose the explanation. And so we use allegories to tell stories which hold deeper hidden meanings. So that's usually, you know, a lot of the parables in religious context, that's an allegorical explanation. It's not a literal story, it's an allegory. Not so much in Destiny. You can maybe argue that some of the Books of Sorrow is allegorical, but most of the grimoire here, we're we're not dealing with that. Anagonical, or anagogical, God, this is such a weird word, is dealing with Destiny or where we are going and the overall point of a topic or story. So it stems from a tradition of viewing time not as a wheel spinning in a void, but rather as a rhyme, um... You have repeating of themes, but you don't have the specific events repeating because basically in the progression of existence, we are headed somewhere. We're not just constant. It's not a, it's not a, uh, an Aztec calendar. It is a progression of a timeline in which it rhymes. It doesn't necessarily repeat itself, which is actually rather important with the concept of destiny because the, the idea of time travel um, I don't I don't have any specific examples on that one, but it's just, you know, it's just something to kind of keep in the back of your mind when you're reading stuff. It's like, okay, what is the exact point of this? What is the, um, it's called the, hang on, I have my, I misplaced my note. It's called the efficient cause. It's the, or it's the final cause. It's where it's going. 
And then you come to the moral and moral is pretty, it's just like literal. It's pretty self-explanatory. Moral is meant to instruct or communicate in the way that an authentic follower believer would live their life. So books of sorrow, if you read that in a moral sense, this is the example that Oryx is passing down to the hive of how to exist in, to become the perfect shape, right? So when we talk about light and we talk about darkness, we're not always talking about physical manifestation of power. We're also talking about the philosophies of how to manipulate these energies within the universe. And that's very important because of what, what Willie and I were just talking about. Both sides manipulate the elements all the time um, through paracausal means. Now, I know a lot of people have asked, what does paracausal mean? Paracausal, literally, the definition of this word, is the sidestepping of causality. Most, that, that, it's an easy explanation for a very difficult concept. TLDR, because reasons. Um, TLDR is actually space magic, is really what would be the best way. The best example How of this... How would space magic not be because reasons? Well, I mean, <laughs> but, so... Paracausal, the best example that I would have for you is in the Vault of Glass. When you run through an Atheon and you see on the bottom of the screen that says Guardians make their own fate, that is that is literally you are not bound by causality nor a predetermined reality. You are literally making your own fate. You are defying the forces of the Vex who are ontologically defining what their reality is by overriding that definition with your own. The other great example of this is the mere existence of a guardian. You are a dead thing that is alive. Every time you die and your ghost resurrects you, you are are executing a paracausal ability. You are defining yourself as more important than the physical causality of the system or of the reality. And the reason why we call it space magic is because there is no cause to the effect that is our supers. When, I, when my hunter summons the golden gun, there is no cause to that. I literally will power into a manifested existence and enact it upon the reality in which we are in. Same with a titan who does you know, the Fist of Havoc or the Word of Dawn. Those are manifested abilities or manifested effects in a world that there was no cause of, other than the fact that you created a ritual and then it manifested itself paracausally in your hands. And that's what in the books of sorrow, when it talks about the worm gods teaching the hive rituals to summon paracausal weapons, that's kind of what it is. It's they're teaching them how to do things that as guardians, we innately know from the knowledge of our own training. So all that being said, when we talk about light and when we talk about darkness, generally when we when we're talking about it, we're talking about, you know, yeah, the traveler versus the the darkness or the worm gods or the formless one or whoever you want to pick on that side. Or it's the guardians versus the hive or the guardian and I would even hesitate to say that the cabal vex and fallen fall within the quote unquote darkness because when we've discussed this in, you know, pretty far detail too. But there's, there's an important distinction there to, take, to keep in mind what level we're talking about with when we're talking about the light and the darkness. And I kind of want to touch, after saying all that, I kind of want to go and I want to jump forward 
I wanted to touch on Ghost Fragment Human for the light, but I really, really want to touch about the positions in the darkness. So, Willie, what are are your thoughts on that one? My thoughts are, let's do Ghost Fragment Human. Um, This is when all of these Ghost Fragments are actually speaking about the first people to come in contact with the Traveler. It's mainly coming from Commander Jacob Hardy. And Blue, I'll take number one, you take number two, so on and so forth. All right. Ghost Fragment Human from the Diaries of Commander Jacob Hardy, pilot of Eris One. The mission is a go. Crew of three. Mihailova, Quio, and myself. Immediate departure at the next home and window to Mars. The MREs and return ships will chase us out. How do I feel? I said at the press conference I felt privileged. Historians will read this diary, but it won't take their insight to the world that I'm terrified. It's the human reaction. What I wish I could convey is the the exhilaration. That's the biggest thing. I'm not a spiritual man. But I've always believed there's something transcendent about spaceflight, something pure. We can go out there because we can, because it's who we are. Now we must go back because we have to, because the unknown came to us. In 14 months, we'll be face-to-face with it. And by the time we arrive, it should be active again, just like it was active on Jupiter and Mercury. Venus. I wonder what happens if it doesn't stop at Mars. I wonder if it will leave us there in the sand and come to Earth and do here what it's done everywhere else. I hate that we're carrying weapons. I understand it's a a necessity, but I hold to my belief. There's something beautiful out there. It's up to us to reach it. Which you can kind of get a hippie vibe is the way I put it from yeah, Jacob Hardy. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm personally the kind of guy. It's like you know, just because a good guy's not carrying a gun doesn't mean that a bad guy's not. Right. But we're not going to get into that topic. No. Um, and it I mean, there's <laughs> there's a deeper. I mean, I would argue there there's there's a deeper philosophical nod here. And I'll again I'll. I'm going to touch on that, but I think it's, it's important, um, that he thinks that, and I, and it'll get, it'll get a little bit clearer as we get further into the ghost fragments. Yeah. Cause Jacob, I mean, Hardy's a good guy. I'm not saying I don't like him. I like him a lot. Um, yeah. And he gives me a feel that, well, blue, go ahead and just read the ghost fragment. Yeah, we'll no, talk no. about that. <clears throat> so ghost fragment human two. From the diaries of Commander Jacob Hardy, Pilot, Eris One. Everybody asks about the words. The truth is, I'm not much of a poet. Eris One didn't leave us with bandwidth for anything except blunt competence. We came in parallelously hot, wow, trying to select a landing site through the chaos of thickening atmosphere and turbulence that bloomed off the target. A 20-minute round-trip lightspeed delay to Earth meant we could only count on ourselves. When the number three engine went diagnostic during the second course correction, I thought we might go catastrophic. The Keomate brought us in. Miholova brought us in. I just flew the ship. The Eris-1 excursion vehicle was built for thin winds and icy dust. 
We came down into a storm, the breath of God, a ripple of change rolling down off the artifact. We aborted on three sites, and finally I took us into a powered hovered and brought us down on reflexes and instinct. Then we ran the checklist, suited up, and left the vehicle. There was a script, and it's true, I botched it. I got my boots down, and I made the most famous gaffe in human history. Said the first thing that came to mind, a warning to the others. We're walking into a rising wind. I didn't mean to say anything immortal. I just thought it'd be useful to know. So, and this is just a nod to, obviously, the uh, one small step for... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. moment so awesome dude <laughs> he was just he was just I, I like love it. i have a face full of dust i mean like <laughs> i think that's literally mm-hmm. just like <laughs> that's the sense that i get i mean he's just i just i think that's exactly what this entire thing is it's just a bit of humor put into the grimoire i mean there's there's a there's a couple nods that i think you know I've, I've made the comment before i think it's funny that he's like oh we're walking into a rising wind oh yeah what was it that destroyed the elixir the whirlwind um you know there's that small well I, there's that but i i think this card more leans toward just like you know how there's so many conspiracy theories about how the uh the moon landing was fake Right. Like you said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And um, I'm a conspiracy theorist as well. I'm not going to get into that. But my point is that he points out the fact that there's a script and he just completely blew it. Like once they, they actually landed, he's like, oh, well, we're walking into a rising wind here. Um it's going downhill. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and you know, you know that people, and just like with the lunar landing, you know people are watching this. Like you know, yeah, I mean, exactly. it's one of those things where, of course, there's a script. People are going to be like tuned in. You're going to meet the first, you know, first contact and all this stuff. So it's it's yeah, it was. But I just I love the uh, I love the nod to a little bit of humor here. I'm going to need to tell Justin that his space time travel. Is or his space t- travel time is in this card. <laughs> I just realized yeah, that. Actually, yeah, I just realized it too. That well, this is before the golden age too. You got to figure right, right. This is before so, golden age, and apparently th- it's a twenty-minute round-trip light speed to Earth from Mars. So you know that's not te- that's not terrible. That's not bad. No, not too bad. That's not a that's a bit of a long loading screen, but you know, and given the fact that it's that short. I'd probably go to Clovis Bray if he wanted me, you know? Mm-hmm. You're such a so, follower of Cade. Hey, you stop it. Cade is awesome. Everybody wants to be Cade. Uh, well, maybe not want to be him because, I mean, he, he seems so bored at the tower. Take me with you. Yeah. So beyond that, we have the next ghost fragment, Human 3. Once again, it's from the diary of Commander Jacob Hardy. Give me one second here. The hike from Ares 1. You've watched it. Everything was recorded. I think you get it in full immersion, but now and fly around like a hummingbird. I'll add what I can. The route was planned. We all went together. The CEV and the Ares one itself had enough automation to go home alone in the event of a crew loss. 
Whatever we'd find at the artifact, it needed the human element. We carried rifles. They made us heavier and slower and probably less safe. I think the argument about the rifles can be left for another time. What's important is it turned out well. Look at me. Look at us. You're talking to a 90-year-old man, a 90-year-old who's never been sharper. I'm miles ahead of every cognitive benchmark. What's happened to me is good. What's happened to all of us is good. When we crested that rise and made visual contact with the artifact, I don't think any one of us dared dream that it would end this well. We went to Mars at the cutting edge of human civilization, and it wasn't our weapons that won that day. It was our ship, our training, our camaraderie, our belief that if we just reached out to the universe, not to grasp for profit or security, but with an open hand, we would be elevated. We were right. That makes me so happy to this day. Which, you know, that's once again the hippie feel that I kind of get from Hardy. Um, I think it's a, I think it's an we important... We didn't win just, with the weapons, no. man. We, we, we won with our dream, with, well, our, with but, our friends. But when you compare it to sword logic, it's the opposite. It's how the hell... Okay, implore... Oh, okay, opposite. Okay, I was about to say. Because that's if that's you, that's yes, I get it now. That the opposite of sword logic. Right. I got you. It's yes, it's that cooperation instead of competition. <clears throat> he didn't. Now, he didn't hold, were gonna, He didn't hold yeah, the traveler at gunpoint. Exactly like sword logic. Oh, no. I was going to be like no, 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 blue. no, no. But where, I think, go ahead, please. <laughs> no, but that's the point. Is that it's not. That's that's my point. Is that this is. You know, I'm I'm kind of a firm believer that this is kind of the fun, fundamental difference between the traveler and the hive, and the tra- well, the light and the dark, is it's not a moral. I mean, I guess you could maybe argue that it's a moral thing of right and wrong or blah blah blah, but it's more of you know a a paradigm or a worldview that is centered on the other and cooperation, as opposed to the darkness, which is more centered on the self and competition. And so, and I think that's that's a very telling with that last, or not the last, but the second to last paragraph, where he says that it was the belief that if you just reached out to the universe, not to grasp for profit or for security, but with an open hand, we would be elevated. By think open of, hand, he means open mind, right? Or just open hand. You can't hold a blade in an open hand. You can't. You can't hold a gun that's with an open true. hand. And what are you well, being you elevated could, by? You're being elevated be by... Idea. Well, yeah, but I mean, elevation in the sense of the darkness is brought on by the edge of a blade, by by combat, by competition, by proving your right to existence. Whereas elevation here, elevation by the light, is brought open by camaraderie, training, Standing there asking to understand something, not to force it to for profit or force it to bend or break to your will, but more to co like to to Well, I think the government learned from ET personally, um, in this situation. You know, 
doing all those tests and being all mean to E.T. And next thing you know, he ends up going home. This time we're like, all right, let's go to it, check out, see what's going on. And turns out everything turned out pretty small. Well, which, I mean, but right. in, and that's why that's why I think like the the whole comment about the gun, you know, even though they didn't want to, I think that's the important aspect is they were armed. They were ready to be to defend themselves by, for sure. But the important thing is, is that they didn't approach it with the intent of forcing it. They didn't they didn't approach it with the intent of I'm going to force you to answer my questions. They answer they answer they they approach the situation with the desire to understand and to well to cooperate with it. Look at the other races that were blessed with light. Mm-hmm. And they all show a, a fairly good amount of intelligence. Um, you, you have the first ones that the Hive ran into after they became the Hive, which that wasn't the use of me. And who was that? The Ammonites. That they ran into first, the Ammonites, which the they were already blessed by the light. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, what the hell do you call him, Blue? Pancake? Pancake. Pancake, yes. Pancake's Pancake. Pancake. Official name is Pahanim, but yeah, whatever his name. As Pancake. far as yeah, as far as Blue's concerned, he, he's Pancake. Pancake. You can get, you can just, we're just rewriting for a while. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> but the, the point is, he he was in love with cephalopods, so that I mean that's been discussed and spin foil too, which has been great about Pancake knowing about if he only knew about the Ammonites, the things he would do. But or, anyway, you know, maybe that's you, why he, blue, you got me off topic. No, but see, but that's my point is like human three <laughs> ghost fragment. Human three is really, really, I think important in understanding that first contact. And, and I'm going to read human four here in a second too, which is also kind of a, a very telling it's, it, it's the moment in which humanity saw the change coming. And so, so, okay, Ghost Fragment Human 4. Again, from the diaries of Commander Jacob Hardy, Pilot Eris 1. Three human beings stood on a high ridge and saw, saw the shape of the future. Saw rain strike a millennia-old desert. Felt the air sweeten with oxygen and warm water in the beginnings of life. I'm sometimes asked if I felt something die. The end of era of human self-sufficiency. I don't know how to answer that question. I do know that I was changed. Nobody could experience that kind of wonder and remain unchanged. The decades have since proven that to me. I knew I'd never fly another mission like that. I recognized the need for a new love. That's why I threw my fresh cognitive skills into understanding the Traveler. How can one entity so quickly and utterly remake an entire world? Fifty years later, I'm conversant in high mathematics, particular topological thoughts, and the slippery irreality of light. I'm involved in a project to study the Traveler's terraforming actions right now, but I still enjoy the interviews. I like going back to that mission. It makes me unspeakably happy to see how well it all turned out, and it makes me happy to remember I was there. So... I mean, 
the the other thing here too is first off i think that's a giant nod to the terraforming project of venus that he's talking about there but i'm just gonna let that go the the thing is is that he witnessed the like they said the end of the era of health of human self-sufficiency and you notice that he doesn't seem all that concerned about he they they have be they have been brought into a golden age there's a reason we call it the golden age is because it was the highlight of our existence so far. And that's, that's what's so, I guess, so cool about it is that that entire elevation was brought on by what we just discussed in the previous card was this openness to a peaceful interaction, not, not a interaction forced, but an, an, an invitation, an open invitation instead of a forced interaction yeah i'd go ahead and i'd agree with that and once again i think that proves that jacob party was happy um but the the thing that i really get from human four is that he just he he's boggled by it and it kind of seems to me personally like it's not confirmed by any means of course so nobody go crazy and you know start throwing stones or anything but jacob hardy kind of sounds like a warlock to me yeah i mean i i know that we guardians we are born from the dead but he could have possibly been another certain warlock that rose from the dead and um mm-hmm. that's true might have had had some light and might have had a bit of understanding was, about topology which by the way topology is the mathematical study of properties that are preserved through deformations twistings and stretching um tearing however apparently is not allowed and i guess there's a joke from 2005 that asks what is a topologist and the answer is someone who cannot distinguish between a donut and a coffee cup (laughs) I have like I mean I find that funny but I don't I don't think I find it funny for what I think it should be funny for so I'm just gonna Uh, go I'm like it's it's humorous but I'm pretty sure I'm gonna admit that I don't know why it's fully humorous I wanna I wanna take those words back what I want to say specifically would probably be he would be an ideal candidate to be a warlock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we all know that at that point, there were no guardians yet. But there was there light. Was, there was light. Yes, there definitely was light because before that card, the previous card talked about him being 90 years old mm-hmm. and sharper than he's ever been. Right. So, you know, the, the traveler boosted even though you weren't a guardian you did have light which uh, you were talking about people not having lighter yeah Yeah, no i changed my mind i have a better theory now i call it the i I have a i have a huge theory about that that i cannot wait to get into okay well that's my point though is that like the traveler no okay he, he he went to planets he blessed us he he not only blessed his planets but anything that was on that planet benefited period and it wasn't that so to clarify it wasn't that 
everyone didn't have light. My argument was that Guardian, and I, my argument still is this, Guardians do not generate enough light by themselves to become Guardians. They have to be a conduit for the Traveler to generate. So, like, Guardians well, are yeah. like a wire through which the power from the Traveler that flows through the Ghost flows through. Okay. So that, you know, um, that was a long time ago, so I might be misquoting. I'm, I, I'm, well, I'm picking up the general thing. What you're trying to say is that so, the because fact if that you we go back do to all the, have light, right? Um, you we know, have, you have, don't have enough light to just resurrect yourself. You need your ghost to do it for correct, you. Correct. Correct. Which it that doesn't mean that's your ghost by like soulmate terms. Correct. It's your ghost by because. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, you, you're pretty strong." Or you're you want to wake up? I think I think there I think there was a compatibility yes test. I mean, there's there's definitely a compatibility, but I think the compatibility is not so much on a a spiritual level. Well, it kind of is, but not in the sense of a soulmate level, but rather the capacity or the ability to survive the channeling of the immense immense amount of light that the ghost is about to pour into your body. So it's literally, it's literally. Hey, are you can are you enough of a conductive unit to handle the surge of power that I'm about to pour into you? And if you are, I, cool. I think they can read that, um, just from checking you out, you know, before right. they decide if they're going to read you or not. Right. Which is part. Of, I have a, okay. Let's rehumanize. My daughter five. woke up. Give me a second. Okay. No worries. But yes, yes, and there was a three man fight. The, the number three. The number three definitely comes back up repeatedly, and pins pins in chat is pointing out that there was a three man fire team. The number three is extremely important to the game destiny, um, and it actually ties into it ties into the theory that we'll be getting into here, hopefully here in a short moment. Uh, it's quiet. No, go ahead and read that blue. Okay, cool. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. <clears throat> Ghost fragment human five. Hope. Hope and standing with strangers. That's what I remember. Hope churning beneath my skin, assuring me that there was a place besides this place, a realm that would nurture us, not kill us. The earth was ruin, chaos and madness and death. We were standing on the earth where I am now, but why am I still here? It was my turn to leave. I remember I was waiting with others like me and the ships would soon take us away. But to where, where was this hope? I must've known there had to be a name coordinates, except all of that is forgotten. Other than my absolute conviction that in, in salvation, nothing remains the traveler. I remember that now, which was what? I don't know. Something has stolen my words, the imagery, but I still remember what it promised us, the universe. Yes, creation held in our hands, but I was here for a reason. And what would I surrender just for the faint chance to remember what that good reason was? It seems to me personally that it's just Jacob describing 
the benefits of the light. You know, he he's so pro light right now, which well, you know for good reason. I guess. I mean, to me, you know, obviously this is a person who's waiting during the collapse, right? He's waiting for, or she is waiting <clears throat> to escape Earth. And then the cool thing is, is this was one of the ones that was added in Taken King and all the races got one, all races got one extra card and all the races, it really seems like is a nod to when your character was resurrected by your ghost. And so to me, that's what this one seems like is the, the story of your character being resurrected. So I don't I don't know if it's necessarily Hardy though. Right? Because we don't we don't yeah. get confirmation here that it was Hardy. That is one thing that yeah I was I mean, gonna no, point granted, out. Granted well. I totally see the train of thought or the like the, the the arc of thought here because every single other human card has been about Hardy or has been from the perspective of Hardy. So it 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 you know I I mean, I, I totally would, see that, but at the same time, I do have to point out that it doesn't it doesn't call out that it's Hardy. So we just have to be open to that, and you know, yeah. I just I don't I don't know. I go back and forth on if this is Hardy or not. Yeah, it could go either way, and I mean, they are showing a female human. Mm-hmm. In that card as well, which they do that well, for every. Yeah, I was about to say they do, they do that for all the human cards. But the other, you know, the Hardy other thing, was a woman confirmed. <laughs> the other, the other funny thing is that this one. So did, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the Taken King has a lot of dealings with hope. Have you noticed that? Like, there's a lot of central themes that are based around either the promotion of hope or the, you know, eating of hope. The entire thorn story arc is about a person whose sole purpose is to destroy hope. The entire Rezzle storyline is about building hope. You know, it's the entire guardians concept coming out of the faction wars is the well, structure. So far as hope. we know, that's what the Rezzle is about. Well, I mean, in Rezzle, um, you know, Rezzle, the he, first card for Rezzle his was... crew like, leading people to the city, and uh, taking out, seemed like Fallen were still the big enemy at that point in time, right. too. Well, I mean, during his point of time, they weren't Guardians, they were Risen. So, I mean, it was definitely... I mean, even when Saint-14 was running around, the Fallen were still the predominant threat. And we were Guardians at that point. <laughs> So they followed a lot more closely than others, it seems, mm -hmm. when it came to the Traveler. But we um, do have the Golden Age card as well. Did you want me to run through that real quick, Blue? Um, yeah, you know, just to summarize the light. Our, our, you know, we obviously talked a lot about the light. We're going to touch a little bit on the darkness, and then we'll touch on my theories. And, you know... We have a couple of theories that we want to touch on after that, but yeah, let's let's read the golden. And we have just the, the pain theory of the right. week as well, of course. That was grouped in. That was grouped in with the other theories. That shouldn't be though. It's <laughs> the pain theory of the week. 
So yeah, let's let's do golden card to summarize to uh, to close up the light. Alrighty, the golden age. The traveler changed everything. It reshaped our solar system as decisively as it shattered our scientific and philosophical frameworks. To our ancestors, it must have been a hammer blow, a glimpse beyond the horizon of what expected possibility, and into a realm of transcendent power. The Traveler kindled the Golden Age, but we built it. We remember this with pride, even after so much has been lo- else has been lost. We settled our solar system and filled it with our work. Today's cryptarchs and scholars work to distill the legends of the Golden Age into truth. We know that humans lived longer, flew further, and knew more. We know that countless ancient diseases and hatreds were extinguished forever. Human aspiration gives birth to vast engineering projects, sweeping social movements, and even new forms of life. The Golden Age was not without its challenges. Sources speak of internal strife, philosophical rifts, particularly around questions of machine intelligence and mind forking, and an enduring scientific enigmas. But humanity and its machine children tackled these problems with pride, vigor, and a contagious sense of pluralist compassion. So that's pretty much just saying... Yeah, the Golden Age was good, but we still have our problems even then. It got rid of this, this, and this, but it did kind of add this. So, not a lot, really. I don't feel... Was there something you want to touch on on that card, Blue? Uh, You know, I think, again, going back to the philosophical bend of what the difference between the light and the dark is... The the last line there, you know, calls out to me, and that is that humanity and its machine children, blah, 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 and the contagious sense of pluralist compassion. Um, pluralism is literally a system in which more than one group or rate of, of types of entities exist and coexist together, and they, they coexist, whereas... Again, pointing back to the darkness, that it would not pluralist is not a word that the darkness uses, and we'll, we're going to get into that actually. Very the very next you know couple cards here is going to be about the darkness, and actually I'm going to use that as a segue if you're okay with that to talk about the darkness card. Yeah, go for it, Blue. Okay. I was waiting on it. So that was the golden age, and then we have the darkness. Something hit us, killed our golden age, nearly wiped us out. Only the traveler saved us, and at a shattering cost. The speaker tells of a cosmic force that swept over us and caused the collapse. Legend calls it the darkness, the traveler's ancient enemy, which hunted it across space. All we have left are questions. Centuries of debate gave birth to competing arguments on the nature of the darkness and the collapse. The Pajari position describes the darkness as a force with both physical and moral presence, an actualization of evil. Pajari art depicts the darkness as a great storm, or as a changing conduct, a corruption that emerged from within and poisoned the Golden Age. Saint-14's position argues that the darkness was an invading armada, an alien force of incredible but tangible power. 
Some adherents believe that this armada sprang from species rejected or discarded by the traveler for their sins. Ulantan's thesis considers the darkness a necessary symmetry to the traveler in a cosmic balance. In this view, the traveler's goodness led it to sacrifice for others, and it is up to us to return this goodness by it is up to us to return this goodness by healing the traveler. The monist position, or the deflationary position, considers the darkness as a technologically sophisticated force, perhaps a post-singularity intelligence. Adherents invoke information theory to, or contend that the universe is a simulation, allowing advanced intelligence to gain weakly a causal powers by bending the rules. The acatoleptic cause claims that we are intrinsically unable to understand the darkness. In many respects, this belief parallels the praxic creed, which suggests that we should stop worrying about the nature of the darkness and focus on resisting and defeating it. Certain positions, often labeled heretical, imply that the traveler itself triggered the collapse, or that it knew the darkness was coming for it and hoped to use the solar system as a sacrifice or a proxy army. The binary star cult is one notable example. So there's there's a the few, darkness card. Yeah, the darkness card. The, the uh, oh, there's, there's a lot takes there, dude. There's, there's a ton, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna focus on a few for right now because we're we're running a little bit. So, yeah. I, and and these are these are the pieces that we kind of kind of stood out. So Saint Fourteen's position we've already discussed in a previous episode. Same with Pajari's position. And to a degree, Ulantans. Um, Ulantans is pretty much the, I think, a position that a lot of people in the game and as players kind of take as the way it is, the ne- the necessary symmetry to the Traveler and the Cosmic Balance. It's basically the idea that um, it's the two sides of the same coin. Now, Ulantan argues that Traveler was good. Some people will argue that that's not necessarily true, but that's, you know... That's the that's the segregation between. No, Wollanton's thesis was the one that has the darkness being a necessary symmetry. Right, two sides um, of the same coin. But Ulantan also said yeah. that it's it's Ulantan applies a moral paradigm to it in saying he that might, yeah, the he, traveler's goodness is equivalent to the darkness's <laughs> evil, and that it's up to us to return this goodness by healing the traveler. So he he applies a moral thing, a moral level to it that a lot of people don't necessarily ascribe to, even though that they do agree to the symmetry concept. Now, the thing that, that the one that I actually, or actually the two that I really kind of want to focus on is the acatoleptic, which is kind of a fun one because acatoleptic, literally the definition of that word is incapable of being comprehended or an adherent to acatolepsy, which is the understanding that incomprehensibility of things. It's the doctrine held by ancient skeptic philosophers that human knowledge never amounts to certainty, but only to probability. The interesting thing about this is the skeptics were actually a philosophical school that came before many of the more famous philosophers that most people would probably recognize, such as Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, all these people, these people were all preceded by the skeptic school of thought. And they were notorious for getting into arguments with schools of thought, such as the Epicureans, the Stoics, the Cynics, and a school called the Megarian Logicians. 
the interesting thing about skeptics is that they they believe that life was dedicated to inquiry because skepticism in greek basically just means investigation it doesn't it just means you question everything the problem with this is that it leads to to it leads to a life of not believing in anything they were pretty much equivalent to some of the world's first recorded atheists because they just said that nothing could be proven and that of course caused some problems with a lot of a lot of people in the time so that that was kind of an interesting little historical tidbit on that and how and then and then they noticed that it, it ties into the praxic creed which i found interesting on a few cents but then on the mon the uh the monist position monism is a very very interesting concept it's a theory or doctrine that denies the existence of a distinction or duality in spheres uh, such as that between matter and mind or god and the world they, they basically believe that everything is all one thing uh, it's a really weird it's a kind of an i don't know it's a really kind of interesting thing but the fact is that they also call it the deflationary position now the deflationary position is actually i i'm pretty sure this is a nod to what's called the deflationary theory of truth and this is a school of philosophy and i'm going to just stand, so this is the quote that stanford's encyclopedia of philosophy says it says according to the deflationary theory of truth to assert that a statement is true is just to assert the statement itself for example to say that snow is white is true or that it is true that snow is white is equivalent to saying simply that snow is white and this according to the deflationary theory is about all that can be said significantly about the truth of snow is white basically you you can't <laughs> basically to say something is true is just basically you saying that the statement itself is true it's not actually the thing is true. It's it's a really weird distinction between the concept of truth and the philosophy of state. It's it's a weird weird theory, but it's it's just interesting that they they equated those two um, because the theory of truth kind of pokes fun at the theory of doctrine of monism in a way. I don't know. I found that really interesting. There. See the interesting part for me was the last one that certain positions that are often labeled heretical imply that either the traveler itself triggered the collapse which i don't believe personally but that it knew the darkness was coming and hoped for the solar system to act as either a sacrifice or as a proxy army and then that says the binary star cult is one notable example but it's not like we have a whole lot on those guys no but so, we do have a bit on the trinary star cult because you know that's, that's a fun the, confusing thing oh my goodness do you indeed no let's not do that that was, that was a bit of a yes, chat I know topic the, the, yes it was that the trinary could have been the evolution of the binary, binary. yeah so okay <laughs> oh just, man just real quick binary 
So a binary star is a star system in which there are two stars that circle each other. And generally they're, you know, generally you hope for it to be in, I I can't remember what the technical term is, but generally you want them to be in, in sync with each other. And they, that's a quote unquote healthy system. A trinary star is exactly what it sounds like. It's a star system that instead of having two stars, it has three. And as you can imagine, the third wheel, if you would, kind of mucks everything up. Now, there are cases in which the trinary star system can exist in an equilibrium, but it's pretty rare and it usually results in something hitting something and causing a lot of problems. But as you know, we've kind of talked about a lot is the interesting thing about this is it changes the binary star cult, which is two to a trinary star cult, which is three. And the number three comes up quite a bit in destiny. Um, and I don't, and I'm, I'm not sure if it comes that's... up a general gaming, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember back in the day when you play classic games, it'd take, three hits or like, you know, take the boss's shield down, then hit him once and then do rinse and repeat two more times to equal right. three times. And he would be down. Three, like, you know, uh, I think Sonic is, is a pretty iconic part of that. Right. Right. So, I mean, and, and that to me was the interesting <laughs> thing was that it kind of, if, if they are related, which we don't know that they are, it just kind of seems odd binary star cult is literally i think this is the only mention i think there's a shotgun that says binary dawn and it doesn't seem to connect to this at all and so and then the trinary star cult we have a hunter artifact and a hunter cloak that's it nothing and all we know from that is that they curse the traveler's light and they're from the european dead zone no wait i think they're from the european dead zone hang on um, let me pull that up Oh, it's a quote that says, we were fools to trust this God machine, the bringer of death and darkness, which kind of points to the binary star cult. Um, and then the, the trinary cloak says the mark of the trinary star, the hidden cult who cursed the traveler's light. So that, that was really the only connection there at, for the trinary, the trinary star also appear in the grimoire card for the lighthouse where it says that they are supposed to be looking for elements or they, they see artifacts left by the trinary star cult. So the, yeah, that's pretty much the only thing from the binary star cult that we have in the system. Um, I think we were going to touch real briefly on darkness three, which is ghost fragment. Yeah. The ghost fragment, darkness three. Uh, Oh, Oh, I'm not even going to say what just happened. I'm just, uh, just going to go to Darkness 3, which is from the Journals of Tolan, The Shattered. I drive myself to the edge of madness trying to explain the truth. It's so simple. Elegant like a knife point. It explains, this is not hyperbole. This is the farthest thing from exaggeration. Everything. But you lay it out, and they just stare at you like you've been just exhaling dust. Maybe they're missing some underlying scaffold of the truth. Maybe they're all propped on a bed of lies that must be burned away. Why does anything exist? 
no, 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 no. Don't reach for that word. There's no reason. That's theology, and theology will stitch your eyelids shut. Why do we have atoms? Because atomic matter is more stable than the primordial broth. Atoms defeated the broth. That was the first war. There were two ways to be, and one of them won. And everything that comes next was made of atoms. Atoms made stars. Stars made galaxies. Worlds simmered down to rock and acid, and in those smoking primal seas, the first living molecule learned to copy itself. All of this happened by the one law, the blind law, which exists without mind or meaning. It's the simplest law, but it has no worshippers here. Out there, though, out there. How do I explain it? It's so simple. Why don't you see? Imagine three great nations under three great queens. The first queen writes a great book of law, and her rule is just. The second queen builds a high tower, and her people climb it to see the stars. The third queen raises an army and conquers everything. The future belongs to one of those queens. Her rule is the harshest, and her people are unhappy, but she rules. This explains everything. Understand? This is why the universe is the way it is, and not some other way. The existence is a game that everything plays, and some strategies are winners. The ability to exist, to shape existence... To remake it so that your descendants, molecules or stars or people or ideas will flourish and others will find no ground to grow. And as the universe ticks on toward the close, the great players will face each other. In the next round, there will be three queens and all of them will have armies. And now will be a battle of swords until one discovers the cannon or the plague or the killing word. Everything is becoming more ruthless, and in the end, only the most ruthless will remain. Look up at the sky, and they will haunt the territories of the night and extinguish the first glint of competition before it can even understand what it faces or why it has transgressed. This is the shape of victory, to rule the universe so absolutely that nothing will ever exist except by your consent. This is the queen at the end of time, whose sovereignty is eternal because no other sovereign can defeat it. And there is no reason for it, no more than there was a reason for the victory of the atom. It was simply the winning play. Of course, there was another country with another with other queens, and in this country, they sat down together and made one law and one tower and one army to guard their borders. This is the dream of small minds, a gentle place ringed in spears. But I do not think that those spears will hold against the queen of the country of armies, and that is all that will matter in the end. So that was 
Yeah, although Tolan does kind of sound bat crap crazy during this card. Uh, I mean, he's got a point. He does. He's got a point. And there's a really, 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 really interesting tie into an actual figure in our history. I kind of touched on this in the Tolan episode, and I've done a little bit more digging, and actually I'm now even more convinced that this is a nod to a, a, a man named John Toland. And this was a rationalist philosopher and free thinker who also also kind of did some satire in um, the middle, basically the middle of the Age of Enlightenment. He was born in Ireland in the six, in 1670, and he lived until 1722. And he was basically he identified himself as a pantheist. And one of his biggest things was he would go he would show that there are no facts or doctrines from the Bible which were not perfectly plain, intelligible, and reasonable, um, being neither contrary to reason nor incomprehensible to it. And so his entire thought process was all revelation all revelation is human revelation, and that which is not rendered understandable is to be rejected as gibberish. Now, the interesting thing that I found out was that he also so this 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 idea of three queens again number three, but there there's a really funny thing that he is that the char- the the man John Toland is known for, and it's called the literary hoax of the treatise of the three imposters, and the, and so basically what he did was he he basically produced some pretty controversial works. Which included this this piece called the Treaties of the Three Impostors, in which Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are all condemned as the three great political frauds. And basically, he didn't actually write it. Um, he just kept on telling people that he wrote it. Um, and so, but the the interesting thing here is, so you have three impostors. You have Christianity, which is rather, you know, a high tower. Uh, Judaism, which is often regarded as a religious of laws, and then Islam, who is often regarded as a religion kind of based around armies. And so you have queens of a tower of laws and armies, and you have the imposters. And so it's an interesting twist on that one. So that I just thought, you know, I definitely am definitely definitely am interested in the influence on that part plus he is a pretty he is pretty outspoken about teleology actually which i talked about in the Toland episode so yeah lots of connections on that one do you, so, have, do you have anything on that one or can i jump into my fun theory um oh we're gonna go into theory mode no please do continue sir okay so, just real quick, this is something that has kind of been in the back of my mind for, I don't know, a while now, ever since we kind of started this conversation. Um, and this week kind of gave me an excuse to put it down on paper. Now, I kind of kind of shared it a little bit in the chat. I've tried to refine it a bit and make it a little bit more presentable, I guess. But it all stems from a theory of platonic thought called the anima mundi. And this is a theory of Plato's that he introduced in a work called the Timaeus, specifically in, I think it's chapters 29 and 30. And there's a quote, and he says, therefore we may consequently state 
that this world is indeed a living being endowed with a soul and intelligence, a single visible living entity containing all other living entities, which by their nature are all related. So it, it's kind of a concept of a world soul. Um, and what this means is that everything is related to everything else in a way. Now, he called it the Anima Mundi, or the world soul. So I've kind of started calling this theory the Anima Universum, which is the universal soul, because we're dealing with more than just the planet and destiny. And the way that I kind of break this out is that the Guardian is a supernatural example of what is kind of referred to as in philosophy as hylomorphism. I'm not going to use this, but just to kind of give those who are knowledgeable in philosophy a bit of a nod here. That's that's where I'm going with this. And for those who aren't, hylomorphism is a philosophical theory of Aristotle's which conceives of the being or the ousia as a compound of matter and form. Basically, we are both a body and a spirit is the basic explanation here. Now, the concept here is also combined with an idea that there is actually a segregation within that spiritual component, that form of what's called the noose and the anima. Now, the noose is what's usually identified as the self or the conscious mind. And I'm going to, I'm basically going to draw a triangle here. And the noose is one point, and that's what we're going to call the individual mind. Now, the anima, which is also a supernatural force, is another point, and that is light. Light is the animating supernatural force which powers the body, but it command, it's commanded by the noose, which is very in line with this philosophical thought. The anima is a animalistic sense of power. It doesn't actually think, it just moves things. It leaves the thinking to the noose. And this kind of ties into a psychological um, parallel that we'll talk on in a little bit. But then the final point is the body, which is the physical form. And that's both inhabited by the noose, but it's powered by the anima. And so what you have is you have a body and then you have a soul, which is the combination of the noose and the anima. And then you have you know, the efficient cause or efficient cause is pretty much the creation, which is from the ghost and the traveler. We're going back to that, that, that four, uh, the final argument for Aristotle. I'm sorry. I'm kind of blanking here. Um, so the efficient cause would be the traveler and the ghost. They create the guardian. The material cause would be the body or the physical manifestation of that guardian. And the formal cause would be the combination of the noose and the anima, which creates the soul. The final cause or the function of the guardian is literally to guard. It's to, to defend against the darkness. And the entire thing kind of it can be explained as such as this. Everyone contains a set amount of light. The traveler, through the agency of the ghost, augments and infuses its own light into the corpses of the potential guardians, giving us more than is normally available. But the light alone is not enough to fully animate. The power needs a, con- a controller. The beast needs a handler. This is why the soul of the deceased must agree to be returned. We are forged in the Traveler's Light and are capable of wielding this animated power, but we have the ability to choose how to wield it. We can rise or we can fall by our own choice. The Light 
as the energy to animate and manipulate the cosmic elements of arc, solar, and void energies is merely a tool, a sword. This actually also does explain the hive's hunger for light. As an animating power, it would allow the hive species to continue existence via a basically a supernatural, or well, it's already supernatural, but a vampiric interaction with that animating energy. Literally, they if you view light as nothing more than anima, the animating force of the universe, not actually a conscious or a moral power, but just the animating force, if you view that as a as that, it explains why undead creatures want that, why they need to eat it, is because that is what is pushing them into existence. That is how they continue to exist. It's like a vampire in blood. They need it to continue to survive. And if you look at it that way, it, it actually makes a lot of sense in my brain. And everybody I've kind of talked to about this, it kind of makes sense as well. So if you look at light as nothing more than the animating force of the universe, it explains why when you read like the Seraph armor, and we're talking about the places before our, our second death, you know, after our first death, we were in a place and we were asked to come back by the ghost. In some fashion, they've tapped into what we call the netherverse. And they've, They've requested that our our soul, our noose, come back into our body to control it and to fight for the traveler. We can agree or not, as is presented in the in the uh, inhabitant in Pod Ten Two O One. He chose not to, but our guardians chose to come back, and that is the animating. That's the animating self, the the noose that is controlling the anima that the traveler provides within our body allows us to exist. So that's kind of the basic gist of the anima universum that I'm kind of building. And I'm probably going to put Willie to sleep on that one. So I'll give, I'm going to check on him before I go to the the next theory that we have. No, I'm, I'm awake for now. (laughs) Um, but what I wanted to, uh, point out once again, since we're, into the cards is Alpha Lupi. Right. Now, Alpha Lupi, I'm going to keep this short and sweet for you, Blue, because I love you. One thing we noticed about the dreams of Alpha Lupi, they all seem to focus on the Traveler and have a deeper understanding than any other Guardian. What's a guardian that we know that has more light than we could ever imagine? Oh, that's right. Paying. So. (laughs) To keep it short and sweet, I would have to say that all of these would be actually paying. And by all of these, I mean the dreams of Afalupi. They are paying, waking up, documenting what he sees. He writes them down because he has the most light of all of us because he is paying. He is all powerful. And thank you, Pan, for being there for us. Blue, you should say that too. <laughs> no? You're a Pan in my. <laughs> all right with all that being said paying would be the only one 
would be capable to know how the traveler feels because he is so in tune with this light. Pain is alpha lupi confirmed. And um, I am thinking about making a, a vote kind of like you do blue with the, the straw poles Uh-oh. where, where when I come up with pan theories, I go ahead and <clears throat> just put those on there. See who votes for what? Well, not who votes for what, but you know what gets the most votes, I guess I should say. And link my pan theory that way. So that being said, if you think it's a good idea, uh, hit me up on Twitter or band wherever. And otherwise, still let me know on Twitter or band or whatever. I understand any hesitance anyone must have, but you must fall the way of pan <laughs> and hit me up <laughs> regardless. <laughs> and now, follow that we have one more theory that we talked about in chat real fast is again touching base on the three the the breakout of three there was a really quick discussion about how that kind of actually ties into what's viewed as the psychoanalytical school of thought and it uses the queens from Tolan's theory to break it into what's called the superego, the ego, and the id. And I can I can get into this, you know, actually, if you want more detail on this, I'm going to say, why don't you jump into our – if you're already in the chat, just hit me up. I can I can send you all these notes because this, this gets really deep really fast. Um, basically, very, very basically oh – no, very, very briefly, Tolan's prophecy yeah, – is basically a description of a psychologically unsound mind. Um, a healthy individual would exist with an equilibrium between the three aspects, which is the queen of law would be your super ego, the queen of the tower would be the ego, and the queen of the armies would be the id. And in the same capacity that the Aristotelian theory kind of breaks out the soul and the body, there's a similar kind of breakout there. And again, I can I can explain this until I'm blue in the face because this is the type of stuff that I love. But the um, a healthy mind would exist within equilibrium between all three, whereas Tolan kind of projects a presentation where only one wins, and that's actually verbatim a unsound mind. Within psychoanalysis, these three portions of the psyche are constantly in a state of struggle, and the healthy mind is one in which the id is allowed to be satisfied, which keeps it from rebelling and overthrowing the ego, while the superego is kept in check by the ego's assurance of keeping the id in line and quote-unquote following the rules. Um, and so the the example that Tolan shows of the three queens kind of coexisting in a city ringed by spheres or spears that's actually a healthy mind, and it's interesting to some of the people in chat. We all agreed. It was kind of interesting that he said that that was actually the mind that was not going to survive the unhealthy mind, which is the id running rampant. And again, love to continue this conversation, but it is getting extremely late on our side, and I know Willie is about to pass out on me. So I'm going to just cut that short again. If you guys want to continue doing that conversation, just let me know in chat. I will, I can open up a, a private chat with everybody, or we can just cat, we can take that into one of our general chat rooms and talk about it. 
But um, I do also want to give a shout out real quick, not a shout out, but a nod to one of the theories from Reddit. I did not get a chance to discuss it. I really wish I could. It's an extremely complex um an extremely complex breakout of what's called the economies of darkness by Taylor B and amazing job. I don't agree with everything presented in it, but again, it require it it deserves a much more detailed look than, you know, the 45 seconds that I have to give it. Um, If you don't know it again in chat, just ask, I'll shoot you a link. I posted it in the focus fire chat and a lot of people really, really, really appreciated it. And, you know, there was a, there was a good amount of conversation about it as well. So, um, with that being said, actually, I only have one shout out tonight or today or whatever this chat. Um, we actually, I just got notified that I have a free loot crate to give away. And so what we're going to be doing is just as a big thank you to the chat again, um, we're going to be doing a similar giveaway like what we did with the last one, which I'm going to open up a poll inside the chat. If you're not in the chat, shoot us an invite, just jump on the website. We'll give you the link here in a second and just let me know. And then what we'll do is we run everybody who votes on the poll through a random number generator for the winner. And I basically walk them through the process of getting that loot crate. The, the theme for this month, I think, is quest, and it looks like it's a pretty decent one. So if you're if you're listening to this, I have we will have until the 18th to decide. Um, so I'm going to open that poll up probably tomorrow, and keep it running until the 18th, and then whoever wins, congratulations and thank you for everybody for all that you guys do. Uh, Willie, do you guys do you have any shoutouts over there? Um. Yeah, of course. I always have shout-outs. You know that. Um, number one, of course, big shout-out to Dads of Destiny in general. Um, you guys are awesome. Everybody in DOD could imagine how uh, the gaming concept would be any better without any of you guys. Big shout-out, of course, to Foxtrot, Dads of Destiny Foxtrot. Also known as DOD Foxtrot. We wreck stuff. We have fun. And that's that for those guys. And I also actually wanted to throw a shout out to Anna. She is an amazing person. And she should never be referred to as an oversoul. Because she's an amazing person. Uh, That is why she's referred to as my oversoul. Is because she keeps me moving and a and everything you, you should refer to her as your um as your paying oh, i think God. would be more legit <laughs> I'll, I'll be sure to let her know that that, that is what <laughs> that is what we decided on <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to all those over the chat for coming to spend your evening with us and for sticking through all the all the technical issues that we've had. Um, if you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. 
please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or topics that you'd like to see us tackle in the new YouTube videos that we're actually still in the process of putting together, the Lore 101 series and Justin Spinfoil Corner. I'm actually thinking about maybe doing a Lore 101 to kind of wrap up on some of the theories within this topic as well. So we try to keep to the schedule Wednesday night streams of the chat starting at approximately 10 p.m. Central. But if we have any variations, we always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account at Focusfire Chat. So until next time, the lore band marches on. <laughs>